I want you to go with me over to Psalm 115. Let's look at this scripture again. Psalm 115. Looking at verse 12, the Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord. Turn to somebody and say, that's me. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. Isn't that good news today? So God has increased minded for you. But he's also thinking about your downline. He's thinking about your grandkids and your great-grandkids. As long as the Lord would endure in terms of his timing, God's people are supposed to be marked with this thing called increase. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And that always says to me, if he can speak this world into existence, he can make you increase. Do you believe that today? I mean, if he can do all of this, and he can certainly take care of an individual life, on this planet, in this country, in this county, in this town. Can I have a good amen today? He knows where you are and he's able to do it. Another translation says, make you increase more and more. You should get these scriptures, begin to write them down, begin to confess them, say, I am increasing more and more. Why should I increase more and more? Because the redemption that we have is a redemption that touches every aspect of our lives. The redemption that was purchased with the blood of Jesus is, first of all, spiritual, and it is also physical, and it is also material. You cannot separate any of the dimensions of redemption. I don't care who you're listening to. I don't care what book you read. I don't care what somebody's preaching at you. You cannot separate the aspects of the redemption of God. They are blood-bought, and they are secure for all eternity. When he redeemed you, he redeemed you spiritually, physically, and materially. Are you here today? Classic redemption means that we are to increase perpetually, spiritually, physically, and materially. Harrison translation says it this way, May the Lord give you continual prosperity. Selah. Unbridled, unbroken, unapologetic well-being in every aspect of your life. 3 John verse 2 says it like this, Beloved, I wish, or I pray above, all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. So this is the man that when everybody else ran away from Christ, ran away from the cross, there he was. This is the man the Lord preserved until he could write down the revelation that God gave him. They tried to boil him in oil. They tried to sacrifice him, tried to kill him. And God kept him alive for a divine purpose. This is a man who knew something about the heart of God. And he said, I wish above everything that you'd prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. That tells us that the condition of our mind, our will, our emotions, which is, of course, the makeup of the soul, our mind and our will and our emotions are actually prospering. Our mind is being renewed. Our will is submitted. Our emotions are no longer running our lives. But how many understand we're being led by the Holy Ghost, led by Him? That'll become real important as we talk more about this today. I want you to listen to this scripture. You can turn there if you want to in Deuteronomy 28. I'm going to read the first two verses from the King James. It says, and it shall come to pass. I like that. You're wondering where you increase, brother, sister, it shall come to pass. Your spiritual increase shall come to pass. Your physical restoration shall come to pass. Your material increase shall come to pass. If thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee high above all nations of the earth. That means there's going to be a distinction on you. You're going to stand out. It's going to be real clear that God is doing something in you, on you, and through you. How many raise your hand and say, I volunteer for that. Lord, make me... The distinction, now watch this, that distinction is for anyone who would hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God. And he says this, And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. I don't know what God would say regarding completely in 2021. He is beginning to speak. I will tell you this, it's going to be the year where you are overtaken. Yeah. 
You were overtaken by all manner of things this year, and many of those things you couldn't do anything about. And We've seen unprecedented times. Can I tell you something? You're about to be overtaken with every good thing that God can muster in your life. Just expect for these things to come up on you and overtake you. Psalm 23, verse 6 and 7, the same principle. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. We know that table is not set in heaven. That's a different table. That's a different time. That's a different season. This is a table of God's goodness. This is a table where God is moving in your life spiritually, physically, and materially. This is a table that's set so that others who are anti-Christ or, or you know, somehow opposed to God or somehow indifferent to you or antagonistic to you, they could actually see these things. Imagine all the people that are going to have their mouths wide open when God overtakes you. Amen. Amen. He says this, You know what my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That last phrase is the only part of that scripture that's about the world to come. Everything else about that scripture is about God's movement and care and provision for you on this planet right now. And look, you've got a stalker. Did you know that? Shirley. That's her name. Shirley's a stalker. <laughs> too much pie, too much turkey. You get the point. But listen to what it says. Surely, goodness and mercy. Some of you will never be able to read that scripture again the same way. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord, what? Forever. These things are coming on you. They're overtaking you. Turn to Psalm 103. Be encouraged. God knows what he's doing. And he is a right on time God. I'm thrilled because he's going to show up and show out in your life. Yes. Glory to God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, verse 1, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. We have a lot to thank God for, don't we? A lot to bless the Lord for. Yes, we do. Watch this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thy iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction or the pit, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. I love that one phrase from that prophecy. I liked it all, but I like that one phrase about even if you fail, you shall prevail. It's not over unless you quit. And you need to see this as a table that God has spread for you. I see this as eight different dishes that are sitting on that table right now. And if you think Thanksgiving is something, that can't compare to what's on the table he has prepared for you. And can I tell you something about this? This table is always set. And it never runs dry. There may be a favorite dish in your family and it seems like it never lasts. Well, guess what? Every time you open up that bowl or whatever it is, it's full again. God's provision never ends when it comes to his table. Amen. Can I tell you this? And it's all you can eat. Amen. We used to train with SIU men's swimming team, you know, when we were on Christmas break. And one of the things we would do afterwards, we did this in the summer as well, is we head to this, this pancake house, this breakfast place. And every Saturday morning after training, they had this, this all-you-could-eat special. Now, you put about 15, 16 men, college men, and you put the rest age group swimmers in there. How many understand we can pack away a few pancakes? 
We went there after practice, 15 minutes later, half hour later, hour later, two hours later, we are still eating up all the pancakes. Finally, the manager came out and said, you got to go. You guys got to leave. So it was all you can eat, but it had a little asterisk by it. We first moved here back here, and then shortly thereafter, um, we were excited that they opened up a new restaurant, Tumbleweed. And uh, for, you know, one of the big specials they have was that you could eat all the steak you wanted. Well, that was a mistake right there, I can tell you, for sure. And we would go in there, and, and Tim would order that steak deal. We noticed about three or four weeks ago, they stopped it. I don't know if there was a correlation there or not. But these places have all you can eat, but there's an asterisk. There is no asterisk on the table of the Lord. Come on, say it with me. It's all I can eat. It's all I can believe God for. It's a table of increase. It's always open. It's always the same menu. It's always all you can eat. I heard a you know, preacher that's well known in this country just the other day say that God is only concerned about your sin and your eternity. He doesn't care about your life on this planet. And I almost swallowed my tongue. Because the scriptures are very, very plain. God cares deeply about your life from stem to stern, from right now and through eternity. He cares about you. And when you look at these, these, these principles, these benefits in Psalm 103, most of them have nothing to do with the world on the other side. For example, you don't need forgiveness in heaven because there's no sin in heaven. You don't need him to heal all your diseases in heaven because there are no diseases in heaven. You don't need your life redeemed from the pit because there is no bondage in heaven. There's no 12-step group up in heaven. Hi, my name's Fred, and I'm still an alcoholic. No, you're not. If you're in heaven, guess what? The bondage isn't going with you. So to say something so ridiculous as to shut down the grace of God in our life. Now, he died for you, and he died for every part of you, body, soul, and spirit, past, present, and future. You were his. We don't need somebody to deliver us from a pit in heaven. There is no pit. There is no bondage there. How do you understand what I'm saying? I don't, I don't need somebody to deliver me from my enemies and work justice because I won't have any there. They'll be in the other place. Are you here today? So write this down. These are eight dishes. All you can eat. When you need them. One is a dish of forgiveness. You've blown it. I'm glad he still forgives. I am. Are you glad he still forgives you? Have you blown it big time? Have you crossed some lines? Have you got crosswise with God's admonition? The prophecy you heard today about holiness is consistent from book to book, from Genesis to Revelation about the heart of God. Maybe you stepped outside of those lines a little bit. Is God a forgiving God? Yes. It's on that table. Some Christians have been taught erroneously that once they get saved, once the Spirit of God comes into their life, they'll never make another mistake. Well, then why is that still on the table? Why does Scripture still say if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of what? All unrighteousness. This may come as a shock to some of you, but Christians still sin. Thank you for your enthusiasm over that revelation. They don't have to. But they do, and there's what? There's that little bowl that says forgiveness. Thank God for it, because that takes away the division between us and God, takes away the condemnation, and we can go about our business, amen? That's why the psalmist says, David, when he blew it, how many know David blew it big time? Come on, David blew it what? Big time. But you know what? The bigger the sin, the bigger the grace. Where sin doth abound, 
grace abounds all that much more. And he said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my iniquity. He said, I, shall, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And you know, I found out years ago, as just a young person in the Lord, just saved just a few, few months, few years, that saying those powerful words out loud and praying those powerful words out loud, there's an anointing on that piece of scripture to work peace in your life. To work a realization that God's not mad at you. Come on, say it. I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Say it like this. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. You can go through the Bible and you can find that men and women of God who love God made mistakes. And they needed to get some of that dish from time to time. Second dish that's on that table is a dish of healing. Something wrong in your mind, something wrong in your emotions, something wrong in your body. He's a healer. Three years ago, you know, some great theologians went ballistic because people were talking about the healing of the emotions. It should not come as a surprise to you that the God that made your emotions can heal you emotionally. This is not rocket science. And if you are out to lunch, if something's gone haywire in the emotional realm, you can just pull up to that table and get part of that dish of healing because it's already been paid for. Amen. Raise your hand if you've ever had to get into that dish of healing. Aren't you glad it's there? You know, Gloria Copeland said this years ago, there's going to come a time, and there is right now, where the wisdom of man, the medicine of man, the technology of man are not going to be able to keep up with the diseases that are manifesting in the earth. You're going to have to know how to believe God. You're going to have to know how to go into that dish. Aren't you glad it's there? Yes, it is. Number three is the dish of deliverance from destruction, from the pit. You find yourself with a hang-up, with a habit, with a bondage, with an addiction. He is a God who delivers. Amen? Do you believe that today? How many of you have ever been delivered from something? You know, it's real, isn't it? Thank God. Thank God for Tracy. I mean, he was, he was about to be, you know, strike out in the penal system in Kentucky. And instead of being in a jail right now, he's ministering to people every single week just faithfully, tearing by his side, people who've been through various bondages and addictions. God cares about people like that. And the way we view things like CR and things like Elijah House is we need the deliverance, but we also need the discipleship. We need the mind renewed. We need the accountability. We need people to help us out. But Lord, that table is still set. Aren't you glad it hasn't run out? Aren't you glad you didn't miss the Black Friday deal? I'm sorry, it's gone. The first 100 people who pull up to the table can get deliverance. The rest of you are just out of luck. Thank God that's not the way it is. Number four, the dish of loving kindness and mercy. That means you don't get what you deserve. You get what he wants you to have. Amen. He crowns you with it. Number five is the dish of renewed youth. There are a few people in here that could use that. There's a dual application of this particular piece of scripture. It certainly means that he provides things for you to put in your mouth that, of course, produce strength and life and restoration. And how many know not all those things are created equally or do you the same good, but you put things in your mouth and you can actually do that. This also means that the word of God that you put in your mouth can actually restore your youth and sustain you. Scripture says, with long life I'll satisfy you and then show you my salvation. It's one of the promises of God that you would have a life and it's your course, do what you're called to do. And I hear the Holy Ghost saying there are people in this room that have, that have been thinking and been lied to that somehow their course has left them behind. They're long past doing anything for God. Let me tell you something. You're still breathing. God could use you to do outstanding things in the time that you have left. Don't listen to that lie. All he's trying to do is take you out and trying to somehow neutralize your influence in the earth. Don't buy it. Amen. Renewed youth. And ultimately, one day, you'll take some of that dish and it'll be permanent. Not a pain anywhere. Not a problem anywhere. 
Your eyes will be perfect. Your ears will be perfect. Hallelujah. You'll be the right height, the right weight. Your hair will stay the same color for the rest of eternity. I don't know how he works that out. You know, I don't know what hair color he's going to pick for my wife. I have no idea <laughs> what color it will be. But whatever it is, I, I, go, I guess I could let the, the ladies dye their hair. I don't know. I'm a big deal. But. but things you have struggled with, those days are over. You're not getting corruptible flesh. She's staring at me, isn't she, right now? I can feel her. <laughs> Burning a hole. <laughs> I'm getting nothing for Christmas. <laughs> Hallelujah. But glory to God, until that day where there is a rapture of the church, until that day where there is a resurrection of the dead, to those believers who have died in Christ, there is his ability to renew you by putting good things naturally in your mouth and putting the supernatural force of God's word in your mouth, come out of your heart, out of your mouth, and it produces life and it sustains you. I tell you, we are incredibly blessed people to even have a glimpse of understanding about the power of God's word in our mouth, in our hearts. It literally causes life to come. Life and death, the scripture says, is in the power of the tongue. It's in your tongue. Come on, say it, it's in my tongue. You can speak life and actually eat what you speak and enjoy it. There is the dish of a renewed youth. There's the dish of justice. He fights for you, executing righteousness and judgment. You don't need social justice. You need spiritual justice. When you look for justice among men, it's far short of what God can actually do. And that just simply means you're appealing to your covenant. You're appealing to your covenant, God. Lord, this violates your word. This violates every principle. And I'm asking you as the judge of all the earth to deal with that situation. You could be amazed what God can do if you'd stop looking to people for justice. Amen. Amen. There's a dish called Revelation. He makes his ways known to you. There's a great promise in that prophecy about Revelation coming to you. Can you accept that today? I mean, imagine you can pull up to that table anytime, day or night, and get a hold of God's ways and get a hold of Revelation. There's Revelation at that table 24 hours a day. What do you need to know? What wisdom do you need? What insight? Do you? It's all right there for you as a child of God. And it's all paid for. Oftentimes we'll live in our emotions, we'll live in our feelings, we'll live in our regret, we'll live in our failure, but all we have to do is just sit down at that table and start partaking of the revelation that's available to us. Looking everywhere else for the revelation instead of going to the one who knows about everything. I think it was Rufus Mosley who was on his face in the hotel room and he's crying out to God, oh God, oh God, oh God, I don't know what to do, oh God, I need you to help me, oh God, do this, oh God, do that. And the Lord finally got a hold of him and said, hush. And he hushed. And he said, here, here lies the man who knows nothing, talking to the guy who knows everything, and you won't listen to him. <laughs> Sometimes you have to what? Just be quiet and dine, and the revelation will come. The eighth dish is the dish of grace or favor, which means opportunity and open doors. Do you know that there are a lot of people that have left a lot of favor and open doors just sitting at that table because they never go back? They're there for you. That name written on them. There's open doors and favor coming for you. Well, I sure wish he'd hurry up. Listen, do you believe he's real? Do you believe that you're saved? Do you believe that he loves you? That he's got something for you? One of the big lies of the devil is that he'll do this for certain people, but he won't do it for you. Now, you believe that long enough, it'll really put you in bondage. You'll be questioning God and wondering how come everybody else is doing just fine. Well, first of all, you don't know what other people are going through, and you don't know the price they had to pay to get where they are. You're just seeing a snapshot. A snapshot is not revelation. It's observation. Do you see this? 
But there are, there are great favors and opportunities and open doors. Amen? I believe that. You're about to be overtaken with open doors. I said, you're about to be overtaken with open doors. These blessings shall come up on you and overtake you. I believe that open doors, the favor of God. Opportunity is there. The blessing's already there, which means empowerment. You should be excited today. I've got the blessing on my life, and I've got favor that I can go eat anytime I want to. That's the opportunity. I've got the power and the open door. Amen. No, 2021 is not going to be your worst year. It's going to be your best year yet in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Can't let some little microscopic, invisible thing called COVID ruin your year, ruin your day. Amen. Your God's bigger than that. Hallelujah. The dish of grace. Shout it out to me. Forgiveness, Forgiveness. healing, Healing. deliverance, Deliverance. mercy, Mercy. renewed youth, justice, Justice. revelation, Revelation. grace, Grace. all you can eat. And a lot of Christians have a little appetite. I want to be hungrier than I've ever been before. Amen. You get stuffed at a restaurant and then they ask you if you want dessert. I think that's backwards. They should come ask me if I want the dessert first. Can I help you out here? Pursuit of natural carnal appetites will diminish your appetite for spiritual things. Pursuit of the carnal appetite will keep you away from that table. Amen? Whatever you give yourself over to, that's the appetite that you will develop. Make sure it's a spiritual one. Now, the heart of this message has to do with some keys to the foundation of increase in your life. It worked for Abraham, it'll work for you. Come on, say it, it worked for Abraham. It'll work for me too. And they're not complicated. I want you first to go with me over to Genesis 12. Go to Genesis 12. Glory to God. He's overtaking you. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Now look at this introduction. And this covenant language, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. If he did it for Abraham, can he do it for you? And you will be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This first key or principle is is so commonplace in in a New Testament church that if we're not careful, we forget about its import and the weight of what it actually means. And and I'm just talking today about the fact that if you want to tap into the, the increase that God has for you, you have got to be saved. Now, you grew up in a church like I did. We didn't talk about the new birth very much, or if at all. It depends on whether it was an evangelical Lutheran church or not. And even then, it was kind of confusing. Uh, we were raised Missouri Synod, Illinois Synod, and also you know, evangelical. So it can be, among those Lutheran churches, it can be even kind of confusing. Am I right about it, Jim? But the bottom line is, you personally must repent of your sin. You personally must confess Christ. And you personally must experience what we call the new birth. You must be born again. Why do I say this? Because increase is a right of the covenant child of God. You can't even start the process of increase if you've not given your life to him. If you're not saved. You say, well, everybody who goes to church in America is saved. Are you kidding me? By their fruit, you will know them. And a lot of them are rootless, clueless, and fruitless. Say it, by their fruit, 
You'll know them. No, we got people in churches because grandma and grandpa went there. We got people going to church because grandpa built the stained glass windows or that's where our family always went or it's a religious thing to do. My dad was telling me a story about somebody that he, he worked with and this person was in leadership over his life and, and he was constantly crossing boundaries in terms of morality, in terms of stepping out on his wife, in terms of taking things from the corporation and stealing things. and That's just the way things were done and oppressing people and hitting on the wives of other people that work there. One engineer's wife was told, you either sleep with me or, or basically, you know what, your husband's going to get fired. How many understand today... They'll bury you for something like that. A few years, that's just the way things operated. And this engineer came to my dad and he said, I'll take care of this. You're not going to get fired and this isn't going to happen. I'm not going to stand for it. You know, you have people that, that operate like that. And they said that man was in church every Sunday. You say, how is that possible? It's possible for you to be an ornament in a church and never transformed at all. And in the case of that church, that church did preach the word of God. So something didn't go all the way up to, you know, the elevator didn't go all the way up to the top. Yes, you could be in church today right now. You could be here, but never personally giving your life to Christ. Amen. Abraham's engaging the Lord through faith. The scripture says in Romans 4.3 that Abraham believed and it was counted unto him as righteousness. What does that mean, Pastor? It means that God counted him as saved and righteous because of his faith. Watch this. Abraham has a relationship with God far before the law is ever given. Abraham didn't get saved through the law. You don't get saved through the keeping of the law. You can't keep the law. All the law does is show you where you're missing it and how much you need a Savior who can empower you to live right, but also to cover your sin and obliterate your record, to expunge your record permanently, to be saved. So the truth of the matter is, you and I are saved on this side of the cross with great revelation of the one who died for us. People like Abraham had just an image, just a shadow, but they knew this would be the redemption that God provided, and they had faith in God, and God counted it as righteousness to him. Say it with me, if I want to increase, I've got to be saved. Galatians 3.29 says, And if you be Christ, then you're Abraham's seed or children and heirs according to the promise. Why is this a big deal? It's a big deal because by chapter 13, listen to what God says about Abram. I mean, no, God can move fast in your life. I sure wish he would get around to do it. Let me tell you something. One moment with God and it can change your life forever. One word from God can change your life forever. In a split second, he can write your situation. He just needs you to believe him, to trust him. In chapter 12, there's an introduction and a response of faith. In chapter 13, the scripture says in verse 2, Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. Spiritually, physically, and materially, he was enjoying a redemption, unlimited revelation. You and I have far more revelation than Abraham had. Amen. It starts with being right with God. Uh, you can prosper to a certain extent without God, but you can't prosper in every dimension without God. I read an article again about another Getty grandson who's dead young in life. It's like systematically moving through that family. At one point in time, that, that patriarch said, you know, I'd trade all of my wealth. And he was worth billions and billions of dollars when he died. I could keep my family together. And everything, it just seems like one manifestation of the curse after another. You can have a pot full of money and have everything else wrecked in your life. But in God, you can have resources and have everything in order in your life. Amen. You simply must be saved. Now, if you know you're born again, if you know you're saved, raise your hand. Say, thank God. I didn't say, are you a member of a church? 
Are you hiding out like that man my dad worked for? Are you just there to name? It's because grandma and grandpa always went to that church. Have you had a personal encounter with Christ? That's what's necessary here. It's the starting point. Amen. Number two, write this down. Surrendered. Not just saved, but surrendered. Look at chapter 12 of Genesis, verse 4. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. Abraham what? Left as God, what? Had told him. And Lot went with him. Not so good. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Everybody say surrender. Why bring this up, Pastor? All right, I just want to say just as, as plainly as I can and as clearly as I can, we have millions of people even in our country that are saved but a small fraction of them are surrendered. Let me try that one more time. There are millions that are saved. There are few that are surrendered. It's not, I met God and he changed my life, praise the Lord. It's, I met God and what? I do what he tells me to do. See this? It's not enough. Well, I, met, I met Yahweh. I met Jehovah. Praise the Lord. Everything's wonderful. No, I want you to leave what? Your father, your land. I have a mission for you and go do what I told you to do. Everybody say surrender. Surrender simply means that you know, you're yielding to his influence for holiness. You're doing what he has told you to do. Scripture says that we in John 15 are supposed to be like the vines. We're connected to him. He's the vine and we're the what? We stay connected to him daily in fellowship. That's what it means to be surrendered. You had not prayed in months. You haven't read the word in months. You can't remember last time you had an encounter with God. You're not living a surrendered Christian life. You can be saved because you haven't denounced Christ, but you're not surrendered to him. You can be saved and never darken the door of a church. That means you're not in compliance. You're not surrendered to him. I think about the season that we're in, and I try not to beat a you know, dead horse here, but if you're not working, if you're not sick, you should be in the house of God even during COVID. Why aren't you? Because you're not surrendered. But I'm saved, Pastor, that's great. But if you want to see the increase, if you want to be overtaken, you've got to stop surrendering to things like a little microscopic disease, surrendering to fear, and surrender to Christ, who said, do not forsake the assembly of yourselves, as is the manner of some, some who are not surrendered. Now, you, you say, Pastor, I don't like hearing that. I'm just trying to make a decision. I'm just trying to protect my family. The most protection you can give your family is to obey the word of God. That's where the protection is. In and under the word of God. We're talking about surrender here. Amen. The house is filled with saved people, but how many are surrendered to the one who's supposed to be calling the shots? Amen. We're his seed, we're his heirs, but we should remember scriptures like Luke 9. Take up your cross daily, daily and follow him. If he says cross the street, what do you do? You cross the street. If he tells you to leave that land, you leave that land. If he tells you to stay, stay. If it goes completely against your, your carnal thinking or even where your renewed mind is at that moment, you are going to yield to him because you're surrendered. He must increase. You must decrease. It's not about you anymore. You're supposed to be dead and your life is not hid in Christ. And yet millions of Christians are saved, but they're not surrendered. God is a tack on. 
Church is a tack-on. Faith is a tack-on. But when you're surrendered, God's everything. The things of God are everything. So you can see that I'm not going to get to the place of supernatural increase if I'm just saved. God had amazing things for Abraham down the road. God has amazing things for you down the road. And my job is to stay on that path. See, we're saved and then we say, well, I want you to bless me on the path of my choosing. God says the blessings are already on the path. Your job is to stay on my path. And you'll run right into them. That's the surrender of life. He's got things for you to do. He has need of you. Here you're believing the devil's lie that you're, you're, not, you're not important. You're very important. That's why he needs you to stay on your path. Because there are things to enjoy and people to reach. Yes, amen. I'm talking about uh, my, my grandmother, Anna. Yes, that one. Anna, I'm going to die, Heinz. But I was coming to the end of, you know, my career uh, in terms of college and seeking what God had for me. And I remember being in St. Louis that day on one of my rabbit trails because how many you understand that sometimes the flesh wants one thing, God has something else for you. I spent years preparing to, to go into medicine and was in the College of Charleston a joint M, a BSMD program. And you did three years of undergraduate. And you transferred to the Medical University of South Carolina and you finished in seven years. It would normally take you eight years. I had it all planned out. I mean, you could have called me George Bailey. I had it all figured out. <laughs> and uh, around September, October of that year, after being elected uh, for the student center and after God blessing everything I put my hand to down in Charleston, there began to be a stirring in my spirit that I was somehow in the wrong place. And the place that he said I was supposed to go to was a place I'd never even heard of before. I didn't even know there was a university at Murray State. I couldn't even have told you where Murray was. And I had that similar experience. You're in the wrong place. Get up and go over here. What about all this? We'll settle that all over. Right now, you just need to do this. You just need to move from here over to here. And I'm still here. But listen, you have those experiences. And in this one, you know, frame of mind where you advance a couple of years and God's, you know, dealing with me severely about ministry and wanting me to get involved in, in reaching the reach and telling the untold. I was sitting at a computer terminal in Springfield, Missouri in seminary. And, uh, I had a visitation from the Lord as I was coding one record after another for insurance. And all of a sudden, the Lord says, you know what? It's your choice. You can go into medicine or you can go into the ministry. And I thought this was very strange because I understand God's will is singular. It's good. It's pleasing. It's perfect. You see this. But this was a surrender moment. This is not, I'm going to make you do this. Everybody say, surrendered life. I'm saved, but that's not how I get into the kind of increase that he wants to put in my life. Everybody say, surrendered. And I, there was nobody in the department. This was second shift around 10, 11 o'clock at night. Nobody's there except the assistant medical director. And they're over there on the other side of the building. And I'm sitting there and I have this visitation. And I'm like, you know what? I, I choose to do what I believe you called me to do. What am I saying to you? It's, it's not about God forcing you. It's about choosing God's best in your life. Surrendering your will to his. And I was coming across I-64 across the Mississippi River. And I, I heard the Holy Ghost say, go see your grandmother. She's in the hospital in Staunton, Illinois. And I knew she was there. He just reminded me. And so I, I went up, you know, uh, Highway 4, you know, north towards where the hospital was. And I got in the hospital. And the Spirit of God began to speak to me about her salvation. And I asked her, I said, you've been in the same German Lutheran church all these years. And all those years, have you ever personally repented of your sin and given your life to Christ? And she shook her head and said, no. And I said, would you like to? And guess what she said? She said, yes, I got to lead my own grandma 
to Christ. And as soon as she prayed that prayer, amen, you can see the peace of God come on her face. As soon as she prayed that prayer, the Spirit of God said, now that's what I've called you to do. Great big old divine exclamation point. Look at somebody and say, surrender. See, it don't make any difference where you want to work. It doesn't matter where you want to live. It doesn't matter who you want to marry. But once you marry him, you're stuck. So, you know, do what the knight told Indiana Jones. Choose wisely. It doesn't make a difference where you want to go to college. The bulk of the body of Christ operates like this. Saved, but I call the shots. Saved, but I'll do what I want. Saved, but I'll make up the rules. That is not the recipe for increase. That is a recipe for mediocrity in your life. Say it with me. Saved and surrendered. Come on, shout it out. I am saved and I am surrendered. One more time. Saved and surrendered. That's me. The third is sowing. I'm saved, surrendered, and sowing. Genesis 22, God said, take this son that you believe me for and offer him up as a sacrifice. You know what he did? He saw past the sacrifice to see the harvest. When he began to execute that command, he turns to his servants and says, you know, we'll be back. Not I'll be back. We'll be back. And the New Testament tells us that in his mind, he knew that God would either raise him back from the dead or provide a sacrifice, a substitute. And sure enough, there was a sacrifice that was prepared and he was able to make that sacrifice. Just like Christ is our sacrificial lamb. Aren't you glad for Jesus today? But look at his heart to do, to sow, to give, to be that solution. That's the heart that gets increases. And that's not a one-time shot. This is a lifestyle of giving where you're glad to do it. Listen carefully. Say what we I'm saved, surrendered, and also sowing. This rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10 was given a, an opportunity for an apostolic ministry. I love this story, and as we do, we're going to wind this down, but I want you to see the importance of this. Jesus was petitioned, you know, what must I do to inherit salvation? And he said, well, you know the commands. Well, yes, I've kept them since I was a youth. And the scripture tells us that Jesus looked at him and loved him. In other words, this boy was operating in faith. This boy was faithful. This boy knew some things about walking with God. But then he said to him, one thing you lack. Go sell all your possessions Give to the poor, and what? Come follow me. Now, he could very easily have been saved through understanding of faith in God. But we know this, he refused to surrender and he refused to sow. The Bible says that he went away sad over that command. Do you know that people today do the same thing? They are saved and on their way to heaven. They're marginal in their surrender, but they still have a hang-up about being a sower and a giver, a tither and a blesser of others. It makes some people mad. Oh, pastor, please, that's not true. You don't get to see the vantage point that I get to see from. It makes some people mad that you would teach them to tithe and to give and to sow and to be blessing conscious, especially during the time that we're in right now. See, if I'm saved and surrendered, then when God tells me to sow, there's no argument because I already surrendered. There's no fight. I'm prepared for increase because I'm already saved and surrendered and I am a steward of what I have. I don't own it. 
And I don't have an angry or mad reaction when he tells me or counsels me or speaks to me to give. I want to. I want to be a blessing. But this young man went away sad. What's the power of emotion? Emotion is so powerful that it can rob you of surrender and sowing and rob you of God's best in your life. Supernatural increase. Saved and surrendered is great, but if you're not sowing, it's going to limit what can overtake you in this new year. It's incredibly important you understand that. And as we deal with each of the elements for increase, we'll spend more time on that. But this is why it's so important to prosper in your soul first. My mind, my will, my emotions. My mind is renewed to having a giving mentality and a reaping mentality. My heart is is engaged with God. My emotions are under control. I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to get sad. In fact, I'm going to get excited over what God says. Excited to sow. I said this to Joy several weeks ago. I said to you, it's the seed you're excited about that's working for you. God led me to sow and I sowed. Oh my goodness, I wonder what God's going to do with this. How he blesses somebody and then turns it around and causes increase in my own life. No, when you're tithing and sowing, you should be glad. I believe I said, you should be glad. I'm pretty sure that's what I said. Glad. Not sorrowful, not sad, not mad, but what? He's glad. You know something? There's no way to stop a believer who is saved, surrendered, and sowing. Amen? Turn to somebody and tell them, you can't touch this. Say, I'm saved, surrendered, and sowing. It worked for Abraham. It worked for his son Isaac, who sowed in the famine. In the same year, reaped a hundredfold. It worked in Jacob's life, ever increasing and blessed. Even under challenge and hardship, even under deception, he continued to get blessed. It worked in his son Joseph, who, even though he was in a pit and jail, he prospered. And he blessed those around him because of the blessing on his life. Say it again, saved. Surrendered. And what? And sowing. That's your, that's your foundation. So I want you to bow your head for just a moment.